Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. How's everybody this evening? Good? Let me just, I'm going to forewarn you now. That clock tells me I'm already 10 minutes behind where I should be. So hey, that's where we are. Three weeks ago, I was spending some time with the Lord and he told me to do something very specific right now. This isn't something that we normally do. I'm going to mess with the order of things just a little bit. What he told me was, he said, I want you to carve out a couple of minutes on the front time of service because I want you to pray for my people. I said, all right, Lord, what do you want me to pray? And he didn't say anything. So this morning, when I was praying about today and getting ready for today, he dropped something very specific on my heart. And so what I'd like to do, if I could, I know everybody just stood up, sat down. We're going to do some aerobics. Can I get everybody to stand up for just a second? What the Lord told me was, he said, some of my people are coming in tonight and they're heavy burdened. They're feeling the crushing weight and it's settling down upon them. And what he told me was, he said, first of all, remind them that all they have to do is come to me. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Weary in, in the uh, King James, it says toil. If you look that word up in the, Greek, in the Hebrew, I'm sorry, what it says is, is it really means exhausted and depleted. And so Jesus was saying, look, because of that weight, whatever that thing is that you're carrying, a bad report, kiddos, divorce looming, I don't know, maybe... <laughs> Maybe it's a bad medical report. Maybe there's been a death in your family and you've just been carrying the weight of that like a 500-pound gorilla sitting on your chest. He wants to help you with that because then he followed that with, come to me so that I can give you rest. So if that's you, what I want you to do, would you stick your hand up? Yeah. Hallelujah. Okay, now we're going to do something else we don't normally do. Keep your hands up. Turn and look for those folks that are doing that. We're going to be the church. Put your hands over there with them. We're going to pray for them. I'm going to pray. I just want y'all to follow me in prayer. Just support me in prayer. And we're going to pray for everybody that's got their hand up. All right? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you that we can come to you and that you did pay the price so that we could find rest, so that we don't have to walk under the weight of any more heavy burdens, Father. And we pray right now, just as we sang in that song, that every single burden is lifted now. In Jesus' name, every single burden is lifted, Father. Your word tells us that we take your burden because it's light, it's real light, it's simple. Love God, love others. That's your burden. Your yoke is easy. So, Father, I pray right now that these people exchange their burden for your burden, that they set it down, Father, and that they find your rest, Father, and that they're strengthened. Your word says that 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 word means that they're tired, they're exhausted. So I pray that right now that you fill them with joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. So Father, I pray strength into their bodies in Jesus' name, that they find new joy right now in Jesus' name. And Father, for the ones that have been losing sleep over whatever that is that's knotted them up, whatever the enemy's been holding over their head that's costing them sleep, we tell it to be done. Tonight they will get sweet, sleep in Jesus name. Your word says you make us lie down and sleep in peace. It's what you do. So father, I pray that tonight when their head hits the pillow, 
they sleep and are refreshed when they wake in the morning. And when they get out of bed, they realize that 500 pound gorilla is gone. And daddy, we ask it in the almighty and all powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Hey, you can sit down. We're going to burn through these notes really fast. Tonight, we're going to talk about a topic that, uh, that has probably affected all of us at one point in time. If not, it'll probably affect us at some time in the future, and that's shame. And we're going to talk about breaking the shackles of shame. I tasked my wife with a really difficult thing. I said, look, baby, I'm going to be talking about shame and what that looks like and guilt and sin. And so do me a favor, find a really funny video about it. She's like, oh yeah, that's an easy order to fill. She found one, she got it to Abby, and Abby's got that. If you'd watch this video really quick. Who did this mess? Who did this? Cody, did you make this mess? Murphy, did you make this mess? Maggie, did you make this mess? Somebody made it. Who made it? Who made this mess? Now that video is really, really funny. But can I tell you that in a humorous way, it clearly illustrates the cycle of sin, guilt, and shame. It really does. Sin comes in, we feel the guilt of it. And then if we allow it to stay there, we end up in shame and shame will make us do exactly what that dog did. Tuck our tail and try to go hide in the other room. And I'm sure all of us at some point have been there, caught with our hand in the proverbial cookie jar. Maybe we weren't caught, but we knew we did it. And then shame just came over us. Oh, thank you for reminding me, honey. If you need notes, would you stick your hand up? Our ushers will get you some. I know y'all are sitting down. Are we out of notes? I think we're maybe out of notes. No. Okay. So if you stick your hands up, if you want notes, I apologize for that. But when we find ourselves in that position of shame, there's something that we can do about it. We don't want to get stuck there. And I'm not in the notes yet. But what I wanted to do was go all the way back to Genesis because believe it or not, that's where we see the very first account of shame in the word of God. We see the very first account of shame right in Genesis, right at the end of Genesis 2, where Genesis 3 starts. Genesis 2 ends the account of creation. God's made everything, Adam and Eve are there, it's all good. And the Bible records, it says that, now the man and his wife were naked, but they felt no shame. When we're talking about naked, yes, they didn't have any clothes on, but it's really a bigger picture than that. It was saying they were fully exposed. Everything was seen, but yet they felt no shame about it. So that's how the end of the creation account is. And then we kick over into Genesis 3, uh, 7 through 10. I'll read it out of the NLT. At that moment, their eyes were opened. So they just ate the fruit. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blown, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. 
I was afraid because I was naked. Now we know that it's talking about more than what they were wearing because if you read further up in that account, it says that as soon as they ate the fruit, they grabbed some fig leaves and they made themselves some clothes. That'd be about like wearing burlap, by the way. Grab a fig leaf and rub it sometime. It's rough. But here's Adam. He's hiding behind some trees and he tells the Lord, man, I'm naked, so I'm hiding from you. I'm afraid. But he really wasn't naked. He had those, his little fig leaf man cloth on or whatever he was wearing. And so it has to be about that being exposed part. He was saying, look, we're fully exposed now and I feel guilt. I feel, I feel the ramifications of sin and, and I'm naked. So I'm ashamed and now I'm afraid. And that's the very first time we see that in the Bible. Now to understand shame, we want to look at the definition of shame. We've got Merriam-Webster's definition of shame. A painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt, shortcoming, or impropriety. A condition of humiliating disgrace or disrepute. Something that brings censure or reproach, something to be regretted. That's a great definition. There's two primary ways that we end up in shame. There's a lot of avenues that lead to it, but really there's only two primary ways that we end up with shame entering into our lives. Number one, through a sin that we committed. That's what we just read in Genesis 3. They committed a sin, they felt the guilt, they weren't sure what to do with that, and so then they felt shame. Number two would be through a sin that somebody committed against us through a sin that somebody committed against us. I gave you a scripture, 1 Chronicles 19.5. It's a really cool account in the word of God. And what had happened is the king of the Ammonites had died and he was an ally of King David. And so King David, he's, he's mourning and he wants to just send an entourage of hope, if you will, to the king's son, who would now be the new king. And so he sends them, really, the word records, just to, just to give condolences, basically, well, they show up there and they go to give the condolences. This new young king and his advisors do something really, really shameful. They say, man, they're not here to bring us condolences. They're here to spy out the land. So they took and they shaved off their beards. Look, every man in here knows if somebody holds you down and shaves off your beard, that's shameful. I'm just saying. And then they took and they cut off their garments at the waist so that from the waist down they were exposed so they utterly disgraced them and shamed them and then sent them home. Now King David being a good king gets word that this has happened and he tells them, hey guys, go to Jericho. Stay in Jericho until your beards grow back and put some pants on. I added that part, that's not in the word, but hey. Now maybe, maybe you have felt the ramifications of that in your own life. Maybe through something that you didn't even do. Maybe, maybe an affair, in a marriage. Maybe kiddos that you trained up right, you poured the word of God into them and they got out of the home and they just went and acted stupid. They did what broken flesh does and you felt it. Or maybe you're a kiddo and one of your parents did something and now you carry the shame of it. I'll let you into my world. Or maybe like me when you were a little boy or a little girl, somebody molested you and you ended up carrying that shame when you fall, but yet you ended up in the shame. 
Now, you may be stuck in shame and not even know it, so we want to look at four signs, four symptoms to help get us in check to see if we're walking in shame, okay? Four signs of walking in shame. Number one, shame creates distance. Shame creates distance. And then, our, and then letter A for that is from God. It creates distance from God. If we go to Genesis 3.8, the first text that we used, what we see is, is that Adam and Eve, they got that shame on them and they went and hid. It put distance between them and God. Now, we have to remember, they were the first people ever created. So they were born in perfection. Then sin came in and then they were broken. Well, we were born broken and are now seeking perfection. Does that make sense? So you have a New Testament scripture here as well. Luke twenty-two fifty-four. Peter's denied Christ. All this has happened and they're escorting Jesus in to be put on the mock trial that he was put in. And scripture records that Peter followed at a distance. I heard one pastor call it the, the, the guilty distance. He said it was the guilty distance that Peter was following at. I wonder how many of us are following God, possibly at a guilty distance because of shame. Peter put the distance there, Jesus didn't. It was the shame that did it. Mm. And then letter B, distance from people. Shame creates distance from people. Remember our account in 1 Chronicles 19, five? He told him to stay in Jericho. They didn't do anything wrong, but here it is. They're stuck in Jericho away from their family, their friends, their circle of influence. They're away from everything. The other, the other soldiers that they're part of, it put distance between them and people. And the same thing happens in our lives. If we don't distance in the natural, you know, maybe physically we'll get close to someone, but in here we'll get real distant. Number two. We abandon the call of God. We abandon the call of God. That's important that you hear that the exact way that is written, okay? Mark 16, seven, right after Jesus is risen, uh, Mary and Mary and Salome are going to the tomb and they're taking some spices to prepare Jesus's body. And they go, oh my gosh, he's gone. And there's an angel there and the angel says something powerful. He says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter was already a disciple. Nowhere did Jesus say, okay, you're not my disciple anymore and boot him out of the circle. No, no. Peter removed himself from that circle. He abandoned the call. God had called him to be a disciple, to be an apostle, and to be a pastor of the New Testament church. It's what he'd called him to do. And we know that Jesus didn't kick him out because in Luke 22, 32, Jesus is talking to Peter before all of this goes down and he goes, hey, look here, some bad stuff's gonna happen and you're gonna fall away. But when you return, he was already telling him, I know it's gonna happen. So Jesus didn't boot him out. We abandon the call. It's what we do. Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, his call is irrevocable, irrevocable. It's without repentance. You can always pick it back up. That's a powerful thing. Number three, we try to assume a dead man's identity. We try to assume a dead man's identity. John 21, three, this is Peter talking. He's standing back out on the beach and he says, I'm going out to fish. 
He wasn't a fisherman anymore. He was a fisher of men, is what Jesus told him. But here it is. He's trying to go back to that old thing that he was before. He's trying to revive that dead man, and he's associating with that instead of who he was called to be. Man, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 says what? We're new creations. Old things are gone. You can't go back and be that guy. And you don't want to be that guy. But shame will drive you to try to do that. Letter A. This is for those that were maybe violated by someone. We disguise the broken man. We end up broken and hurt. And we try to disguise it. For me, I'll tell you what that looked like. I put on a mask of machismo for a lot of years. I had to prove that I was a man. All because shame that somebody else put on me. I walked around with a chip on my shoulder. One time we actually had a a guy that came and spoke at our church and he was a prophet and when he was prophesying, you can ask my wife, he grabbed me and he went, you don't have a chip on your shoulder. You have a wood pile, says the Lord. It's because I never dealt with all that stuff. I buried the shame down inside. So we try to disguise it. But remember this, brokenness can never heal when you hide it. It can never heal when you hide it. You got to get it out there so that he can heal it. Number four, shame then shackles us to sin. Shame then shackles us to sin. Second Peter 2, 20 through 22 And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would be better if they'd never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit and another another that says a washed pig returns to the mud. Why does that happen? It's real simple. The definition of shame is pain. There was pain inflicted. Well, pain requires attention. Pain requires relief. But this this pain is caused by sin and guilt. (laughs) And we already know that we've distanced ourselves because of the shame. And what we really need is Jesus. But we've distanced ourselves from him. So then what we end up doing is we end up trying to anesthetize the pain with sin. It's what we do because pain's got to be dealt with. The problem is, is that you can never anesthetize that pain. Only Jesus can take care of that. We end up running from him instead of to him. Letter A, shame shackles us to their sin. Shame shackles us to their sin. I put Hebrews 12, 15 in there. That basically says, be very careful not to let a root of bitterness grow up and grow into your life. That root of bitterness will actually attach you to that moment in time if you allow it to. So you end up shackled to their sin that they committed and violated on you. You get attached to it. God doesn't want that for us. Remember, an offense buried in the soil of shame grows into bitterness. An offense buried in the soil of shame grows into bitterness. There's a typo on this next line. Uh, Think on this. It should say, shame is fallen humanity's way to cover the guilt of sin. On your notes, it's got some stuff after that. Just scratch that out. 
Shame is falling humanity's way to cover the guilt of sin. You see, the guilt of sin, it requires removal, not covering. It's got to be removed. Hebrews 10, 4 through 5 tells us that, that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. And then in the very next verse it says, so therefore Christ came. That's what removes sin and the guilt and the shame that goes with it. You can't cover it up with fig leaves. It won't work. Whatever the fig leaves are, we got to take them off. So now let's look at shedding the shackles of shame. Say that three times fast. I won't because I have a microphone and it might get rough. Shame is fueled by three things. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. I wish I could tell you I came up with that. I didn't. A, a Christian doctor did by the name of Henry Cloud. Shame is fueled by three things. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. So let's look at some things to break free. Number one, confess our object of shame. We got to break the silence. It has to be broken. So we confess our object of shame. Letter A, first to God. Confess that to God. If there's sin in there and it's a lifestyle of sin that's being lived, an addiction, confess that thing to God. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. It's what he wants to do. Remember, we need the guilt of sin removed. Otherwise, we end up covering it in shame. Number one, we need to confess the offense. We got to talk about it with God. If you were violated and you're carrying shame because of something that somebody else did, you got to take that thing to God. Can I tell you that, I wish I could tell you that as soon as I got saved, I dealt with that thing that I'd buried deep down inside of me. I didn't. It was a long time, over 20 years. I was so embarrassed about it that I wouldn't even talk to God about it. Isn't that terrible? He just wanted to heal me and relieve me from it. Hmm. He won't heal what we keep hidden. He can't because we're holding on to it. We got to let it go so that he can heal it. Letter B. Confess it to a brother for men, another Christian man, a brother in the Lord. For women, to another woman in, in the Lord, a sister in Christ, if you will. You got to get rid of the secret. Look, remember what we said? We said that it's about pain, yes? Well, look at what James 5.16 says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's right there in black and white. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The only way to get healed from that is by doing what the word says. We gotta be doers of the word to benefit from all that it says. Now I know that seems difficult and it seems nigh impossible, but it's not. You're, it's, you're more afraid of it than it is. Trust me, I've been there. Life groups are a perfect place for this, by the way. You should be in a life group because in that circle of safety, then that's where you can talk about those things. And then you can pray for each other and you can see healing. That's what we need to do. Number two. Grab hold of God's grace. Grab hold of God's grace. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace 
with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Got to grab hold of the grace. Let me add something to that really super quick here. A lot of times we end up trying to use shame as a behavior modification tool. We do it with our kids. Hey, I've done it. I've been there. We try to do it with people that we're leading, that we're, that we're trying to help through something, and we'll try to use shame as a behavior modification tool. We gotta stop that. Shame will never, ever change somebody. Only the grace of God will. So we gotta grab hold of the grace and quit using that thing as a tool on somebody. Number three, listen to your advocate. Listen to your advocate. John 14, 26 says that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The advocate has come to teach you all things and to remind you of everything that Jesus has said. Guess what? In those moments of doubt, when you're feeling shame, when you're feeling like, man, I'm worthless, I'm not worthy, the advocate will come and tell you, no, 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 you're my child. You're worthy. You're an overcomer. That was just a mistake that was made. That's what the advocate does. So you got to listen to our, your advocate. Number four, ignore your accuser. Revelations 12.10 says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. You got to ignore him. Remember, the accuser reminds you of sin and shame, but the advocate reminds you of your righteousness. It's what he does. Look, this is a freebie. It's not in your notes. Man, there are three ways the voice of shame will try to speak to you. The voice of shame comes with the three Ps. The same Christian psychiatrist came up with this. The voice of shame tries to make it permanent, personal, and pervasive. Let me tell you what that means. So you blow it. You have a bad day. You yell at your wife. You made a mistake. And the advocate comes in and says, man, that was a little bumpy. Let's talk about that. We need to deal with that. Let's pray about that. You need to make that right with your wife. The accuser comes in and says, no, that wasn't, you didn't make a mistake. You are a mistake. It's personal. And then it's permanent. The advocate comes in and says, man, but that's not who you are. That's just a one-time thing. You hadn't done that in forever. Let's just repent. It'll be okay. But the accuser says, it's what you always do. It's what you're always going to do. And it's what you do in everything. You're a mistake. And that's pervasive. Pervasive just means it branches out and fingers into every area of our life. That's pervasiveness. So we don't want to listen to the accuser. We got to ignore him and listen to the advocate. Number five, this is a big one. Forgive the offender. You got to forgive Mark, uh, Matthew 6, 14, Mark eleven twenty five, 25, and Hebrews 12, 15. Matthew and Mark tell us we got to forgive. That's a mandate of Jesus. He says, forgive. Hebrews 12, 15 tells us that if we don't, that root of bitterness will grow and that it'll affect many. We have to forgive. I understand. I may not understand your pain, but I do understand pain. And I remember going, I'm never going to forgive ever. You know, that never hurt them any at all. It kept me from freedom. Truth be told, by not dealing with it, it almost cost me my marriage in year number five of my marriage. 
because I was so busy about being macho. It almost cost me my relationship with my oldest son. Man, you don't want to do none of that. I've been there. And number six, focus on God. Psalms 34, five. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. As soon as you walk through these steps, the enemy's gonna try to get you to focus back on that offense, to focus back on whatever the mistake was, to focus back on whatever it was that you've walked out of to step away from shame. And if he can draw your focus, you'll end up right back where you were. But if you'll set your focus on God, your face will never be covered with shame. Now let me tell you why that's important. Yes, Jesus wants you free. It is for freedom, he set us free. But he also set us free for something else, to make a difference in somebody else's life. Romans 8, 19 says that all of creation is waiting with eager expectation for the revealing of God's children. And if you stay buried in shame, that bushel of shame will hide your light. And all of creation is waiting with eager expectation for you to come and shine into their lives. That's what God wants to use you for. So we got to get rid of that. We got to get rid of that. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.